Hello and welcome to this uh, next part in our series, looking at discipleship. You're watching Watch It Baptist Church online, and this is our fourth part of this particular series. In the previous three, uh, we've talked about discipleship as being like a, a journey or a pilgrimage. And those who've, uh, who've listened and watched to the previous ones might also have a sense that we're, we're building um, something through the way we're describing each of these sessions. The first session that we had talked about uh, discipleship as being like a pair of boots. We said there can be a difference sometimes between the term Christian and the concept of disciple. We can say we believe in Jesus and say yes to his saving power, yes to the cross, but not go anywhere with it. Jesus said we were to follow daily, to live like we trust him. And our discipleship is marked by progress, not by perfection. We also said that, um, that in lots of ways, discipleship is like putting on a pair of walking boots to set out. Secondly, we talked about discipleship as clothing. We particularly were looking at the idea that we love God with our heart, soul, strength and mind. We need to put the right clothes on for our pilgrimage journey because uh, being a discipleship doesn't just happen to you. It involves your preparation and your involvement and your commitment, your heart, soul, strength and mind. And thirdly, we talked about how discipleship is like a map. Living as a disciple can be demanding and, and difficult. Jesus shows us how. And with the help of a map, we can know uh, what route to take, what the journey looks bit like. Uh, and so having Jesus with us, having the Holy Spirit in us, is like having that map with us as well. We're going to be looking at two readings this time around. One is from the Old Testament and the other is from the New and I'm going to start by reading them and then we'll pray and then we'll have a look at those verses. OK, so we're starting in the Old Testament with Ecclesiastes chapter four and we're reading from verses nine to twelve. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So that's the Ecclesiastes passage. We're then going to look at uh, a New Testament um, short section as well. It's from Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 9 to 17. It's a letter written... Uh, by a, an apostle, a missionary called Paul, to a, a church at a city called Colossae. And it says this. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. 
bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our second passage that Paul wrote was written from prison. Letters to the churches in the New Testament, and there are many of them, tended to respond to particular problems. In Colossae, the church risked being led up the garden path. There were people uh, who were giving what Paul called hollow philosophy, ways of thinking that sound wise, but are human and made up. With that in mind, and also with that idea of two being better than one resonating in our minds too, let's pray. Father, we give ourselves to you, trusting that you know better than us what the best ways are to be human, that you know better than us what the best ways are for us to work together. Would you be incisive in how you speak to us just now? Would you inspire us? Would you challenge us? And would you help us to accept a rebuke from you if that's what you need to bring? Amen. Here we are then in part four of our series and, and this time just you know up front I'm going to say that what we're looking at here in terms of that pilgrimage journey that we take as disciples is a, is a rucksack or a backpack something like that. Going straight back then to Colossians 3 Paul reminds the believers in that city the followers of Jesus the disciples of Jesus those who are apprenticed to Jesus and who've learned about that from Paul himself to have hearts and minds that are focused on Jesus to live like they have new lives and in this letter to a community of disciples a, a family if you like of saints he writes quite strongly about togetherness a little while ago my wife Jenny took part in her second walking marathon from Macmillan Macmillan's an important charity to both of us and on this occasion she was walking around the Gower Peninsula uh, in South Wales. Previously she'd done something um, similar along the Jurassic Coast and both very demanding places to be walking. More than 20 miles of very much up and down sort of crinkly coastline but she wasn't doing it alone. It's a whole bunch of people do these uh, treks for Macmillan on the same day but particularly for Jenny she did it with her friend Sally. Doing it together made a big difference. Partly because they have somebody else to keep them buoyed up, partly because they have somebody to keep them distracted and partly because they're both knowing that they're aiming for the same thing, they're going after the same target, they have the same cause that they're involved with. As individuals, they need to be as fit and as ready as it's possible for them to be whenever they take on a challenge like this. And, and they did do both of them together. They needed the right food and drink and uh, the right kind of rest 
beforehand um, and rest on the way too and the right um, boots and, and hats to, to protect you from the sun and things like that. Their togetherness can't substitute for any of those things, but togetherness will always make a difference on a journey like that. The chunk of Colossians 3 that we're particularly looking at is, is those verses 9 to 17. And Paul says in them, look, be honest, he says, with each other. Yes, we may be confident that we don't tell lies to each other, but do we keep part of ourselves back? Do, we, do you hold it closer to ourselves and not allow it to be seen? Do we hide our flaws and preserve some kind of ideal that's presented to those disciples around us? so that we think somehow we might keep their approval. Is it possible, he says to the church at Colossae, but to us as well, is it possible that there are ways in which we hide from our brothers and sisters in Jesus? Honesty and integrity are core to any discipleship community. Some years ago now, 2003, to celebrate my dad's 60th birthday, the family gave him a special present. We agreed that we'd all go on holiday together, something that was, I think, um, more precious to him than we realised at the time. So we went to Wales, to North Wales. He was a big fan of mountains. And, and uh, it was me and uh, Jenny and my sisters uh, and my brother-in-law. Only one of my sisters was married back then. Uh, and a two-year-old daughter that we had and a one-year-old son that my big sister had. Now, my dad had a lot of trouble um, with hips and knees in his medical history. Um, but despite this, he was always keen to climb mountains. And he, on this occasion, wanted to climb a mountain called Triven or, or Trevan. I'm never quite sure what's the right pronunciation of that. But it's, it's near Llyn Ogwyn uh, in Snowdonia. And dad decided that he didn't want to walk up the Heather Terrace, which is uh, a little bit long and not particularly exciting, but a straightforward way up that mountain. Instead, he wanted to climb the North Face, which is definitely an interesting way to get up it. There's a path all the way, but it's hands and feet in several places. It's a bit scrambly, and, and Dad wasn't quick. He was walking at this point with two sticks. Nonetheless, he kept going and, um, and was determined to complete this particular route. Unfortunately, because we weren't very quick, and because we didn't really know how close to the top we were, we got to a point where we thought probably the dark was going to beat us uh, and we'd better turn back so that we weren't trying to find the car in, in murky uh, dusk at the end of the day. So we turned and headed back, except that we were a bit concerned that going back, knowing that it was a scramble, was going to be a bit of a big ask anyway. So we looked for an alternative. We found a gully down the east face and started down it but it turned out to be a dead end and we had to climb back up and then use the route that we'd come up to go back down again and it was hard going. Dad was struggling, but there was no alternative choice. It was heartbreaking not only to not make the top of the mountain, but also to have to come back up, having gone down the wrong way so that we could go down the right way. And my dad couldn't do this journey on his own. So me and my younger sister and my brother-in-law, we were the four who'd gone up, um, had to help Dad move his sticks to the right place and support his weight at times in order to help him get back down again. 
and we clambered over rocks. But importantly, we also found other ways to encourage each other, not least of which was talking about other things completely. The journey ended okay. We got back safely uh, and we had a good story to tell. No one got hurt, um, although I think those who'd stayed back at the house were all a bit unnerved by it. And years later, I went back and got to the top anyway. But to complete that journey the way we did depended on us being honest. We weren't going to reach the summit. We went the wrong way trying to get down. We had to admit our weaknesses and seek each other's help to get back. In discipleship, we cannot make the journey alone. We have to be honest about our weaknesses. We have to admit to those around us that there are things we struggle with. Sometimes we need to acknowledge that we need sticks to support us as we go and somebody else might have to place them so that we stay safe. These things are about being honest and having integrity as a discipleship community and about being accountable to each other too. Uh, and there is no real substitute in honesty in, in a community for that kind of accountability too. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, so the same guy who wrote the Colossians letter, but a different letter to a different church. He said, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. That's Ephesians 4, 25. For Paul, there was no substitute for the honesty that came with a community of people who were walking together with Jesus. Similarly, Bill Hull, who's a, a writer on discipleship who I have a lot of time for, in his complete guide to discipleship writes this, you can't make disciples without accountability. And we haven't got to spend long in the Bible before we see the reality of this. New churches, like those, uh, like those Ephesian churches, there were several of them, and like the church at Colossae as well, they were accountable to Paul. The disciples were accountable to Jesus. In the Old Testament, Elisha was accountable to Elijah, David accountable to Nathan, Samuel to Eli, Joshua to Moses. There's plenty of examples. Being disciple means walking together. And Ecclesiastes, which we looked at at the beginning, uh, chapter 4, 9 to 12, reminds us that two are better than one and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God, and we need to invite him to be part of how we do discipleship day by day. His wisdom and authority and creative and transforming power is the thing that's going to form us into the best people we can be, the best disciples that Jesus knows we could become. But also, we can't do it without each other. Without accountability, we just don't thrive. Without honesty among us, we abandon each other in the hurly-burly of real life. Without encouragement in our vulnerability, how can we actually genuinely strengthen each other? If there isn't that vulnerability, then we might try to strengthen somebody, but might be doing something completely inappropriate or of no help. Because we don't really know what encouragement and strengthening is needed. Secondly, from Colossians 3, Paul says there are no dividing lines in Christ. For us, it can be easy to wear kind of tribal labels. So you might remember Paul saying there's no Scythian or barbarian or slave or free or Jew or Gentile. And he's identifying those fault lines that people divided themselves by. 
it can be easy for us to do the same. We might call ourselves Baptist Christians or um, Evangelical Christians or postmodern Christians or charismatic or reformed or emerging or whatever it might be. Paul shows us that this kind of tribal differentiation, this kind of splitting into different groups or different ways of identifying ourselves is nothing new. He tackles exactly this in this letter. Now, you may feel this is something that you don't do. You may be able to pat yourselves on the back and say, well, I don't do that. So I, I definitely never look at anybody else and feel they're not part of my tribe. Well, that's good. I think part of what's important is to recognise that when Paul's talking about these dividing lines, not all of them are doctrinal. They're not all to do with the theory of what we believe about Jesus. He identifies dividing lines within the church to do with nationality or um, ceremonial standing or social status or, or cultural circumstances. In a group of disciples, it's so easy to find things that make us differ from each other. And in what ways might you think, well, I may be a Christian, I am a Christian, but I'm not quite like those Christians. This, they're, they're not quite like me and, and I'm a bit different over here. But Paul really is telling us there's no room for that because Christ is all and is in all. Now this could and probably should have a profound impact on us. We can end up being separated for these and many other reasons. And Paul says we are brought together by God. We are um, held together by a, a kind of intentional um, bond, by being kind and patient and humble and compassionate and gentle towards each other. Paul calls on us to exercise these characteristics, these ways of behaving towards each other, as ways of maintaining that connection with others who are also disciples of Jesus. And he backs this up elsewhere in his letters. In a letter he writes to a man called Titus, in chapter 3 of that letter, um, he didn't put the chapters in, somebody did it later, but he reminds Titus that God saves by kindness and love, not by us being right and righteous. And then he goes on to say this, avoid, this is instructions to Titus, avoid foolish controversies, and genealogies, that's to do with um, what you're descended from, and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. And there is an echo in that of when Jesus sends the 12 and later the 72 out to declare the good news of the kingdom and he says if you come across places where you're not welcome just shake the dust off your sandals and move on to somewhere where you will be welcome paul knows that believers will disagree on points of doctrine on theology on, on why you believe what you believe or the theories of your discipleship and he knows that sometimes those disagreements are going to be about important things we might in our uh, circumstances think about um, abortion and same-sex relationships, and hell, and alcohol, and social justice, and the role of women, and how the Sabbath is uh, ident identified, understood, and, and responded to. And these are all areas where people might be separate from each other, or identify differences. Paul isn't saying that we shouldn't study the law. The Bible, inspired by God and written down by people, is an incredible and unbeatable source of understanding 
and truth. When our understanding is also inspired by the Holy Spirit, it works really well as a resource, as a, as a revelation of God's character. But where there are differences of understanding, are they really a reason to establish tribal lines and, and stand separate from each other? Paul seems to be suggesting to us that the bigger danger is division. Verses 12 to 14 offer a blueprint for how to handle distinctions with a group of disciples. Because we are the people of God, people he has chosen, we don't have any reason to retreat into tribes. We've been called out of tribes to be a family. Because we're God's people and we're adopted um, by this amazing Heavenly Father, we are children, we are brothers and sisters and um, brothers and sisters specifically of this of our saviour Jesus we have a deposit of Christ living within us that's the Holy Spirit so kind of a, a representation of Jesus within and that gives us the only tribe that really matters a tribe that's recognisable not by its doctrine but by the way it loves we're not or at least from Jesus and Paul's point of view, we shouldn't be recognisable by the way we build fences or draw lines in the sand. Sadly, I suspect too many people in the world around us would think of Christians and churches in exactly that way. But our relationship with Jesus, the master to our apprenticeship, is ultimately the only thing that really gives us our identity. We touched on that in those in that idea of loving God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. The, the, the soul... Um, love is is a way of um, identifying or knowing your own identity and and allowing Jesus to breathe into it. So we should be identifiable as people who uh, have compassion and kindness sort of written into who we are. Humility, uh, laying aside that need to be right, um, and gentleness and patience, not having to go in the right way, um, not, not to go a particular way right now, but um, recognising that things take time to work the right way sometimes and, and it's okay for us to be patient. We should be forgiving and not entrenched. We should be those who love uh, and express kindness and who seek unity. I wanted to quote uh, a Baptist minister in Scotland, a guy called Chris Townsend, uh, from um, Balfron near Glasgow and he wrote this God is at work he is at work in me though my own theology is doubtless faulty in ways I can't even conceive I was brought up on preachers who encouraged me to read the Bible for myself and ensure they were really speaking the truth it's a good discipline to have it does however carry the risk that we become unteachable critics who won't hear anyone unless they meet our exhaustive doctrinal checklist every time they open their mouths. There is a genuine risk that we prize our distinctions higher, more, more importantly, we hold on to them more tightly than our identity in Jesus. The things that we know what make us different from other disciples become to us a bigger deal than the fact that we all know Jesus. We're supposed to be a united people of God. And Eugene Peterson, uh, writer and pastor 
um, said this, fellow believers are fellow disciples and fellow pilgrims. They help us to keep going. When we identify the differences more than the connection points, we sideline our own support system. In Matthew 28, uh, right at the very end, verses 19 and 20, Jesus sends out his disciples and says that now he has trained the 11 to follow him. It's up to them to do the same, to train others to follow Jesus. The church does discipleship. After all, isn't that what the church is for? To be a community that follows Jesus and shows others how to do the same thing? As disciples, part of our DNA is to be together with others in meaningful relationships that allow encouragement and that hold accountability. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, again, another letter to a different church, says the body of Christ is made up of many disciples and he goes on to talk about love. To be disciples together is to be a community of love and of togetherness expressed in love. That love requires a level of patience and kindness and compassion all the time. Togetherness built on love includes those who are different from us. Togetherness built on love is humble in disagreement. Togetherness built on love is patient with the difficult. We will encounter them within our churches. Togetherness built on love is gentle with the awkward. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Togetherness built on love doesn't mean being walked over, and it doesn't mean always giving in. It certainly doesn't have to mean sacrificing principles and ideology. But be ready, because the Spirit might ask you to do just that. Remember our um, Baptist minister from Scotland saying that um, he's sure his theology is wrong in ways he doesn't even think of. We are flawed and fallible, otherwise we're not people. To share Jesus with each other, sharing that apprenticeship, we need to be committed to our togetherness. And it needs to be meaningful, not just to talk about it as a nice idea. A little while ago, we had a survey in the church here uh, about discipleship. And 60% of those who responded says that the thing they like most about being part of the church here is being part of a community that walks together with Jesus. 80% said that they felt the church, Watch It Baptist Church, supported them in their discipleship. We need to allow those things to be true, celebrate them, and then make sure they don't dissipate. Because the alternative is to be like Pharisees, to treat some as if they are in and others as if they are out, based on rules that, after all, are always set by the insiders anyway. Jesus wasn't interested in being in with the holy insiders. Instead, he wanted to take the Father's presence, which he knew, and the Holy Spirit's power, which he shared, and take it to those outsiders wherever they were. We don't keep ourselves pure by isolating ourselves. We keep ourselves pure by the Holy Spirit living within us. If we become unclean by hanging around unclean people, if we're made unholy by spending time with unholy people, then surely Jesus was both unclean and unholy. Again, don't mishear me. I'm not, <clears throat> not being flippant. We do need to take care with people and situations and teaching. The world can and will mess with your head and put you on the wrong track. But to respond to what you believe to be wrong by isolating yourself in protest doesn't make a lot of sense. It isn't something Jesus did. Not only did he spend time with the corrupt and undesirable, he also spent time with Pharisees, 
Pharisees and poor guy with theologians too. Again, that, that survey that we had some years back, 11% of people said they wanted to be able to ask questions without being told off. Being told off in a community of disciples is an awful thing. There needs to be a trust and a willingness and a patience that means that we know people will walk with us even if our ideas are completely wacky, even if they don't make a lot of sense once we understand them better. We're called to stand together as the body of Christ. To be disciples is to help each other along the way. We build cairns, those piles of stone as markers for each other uh, as we follow that journey, as we take that pilgrimage. We leave something that shows the way for others to know that we care about them, not just about our own walk, but about the way others walk with Jesus too. We find ways to encourage others and strengthen them. <clears throat> and we provide accountability for others too in ways that suit them more than ways that suit us. So that through that accountability, we might grow stronger and know Jesus better. So for the journey of discipleship, we need a rucksack or a backpack. We need to pack and carry with us the experience and skill of others, their strengths, their understanding, their compassion, their kindness, their humility, their gentleness and their patience. We need a rucksack full of all those things. Let's pray. Father, we put our hands up and say, we know we can't do this discipleship journey on our own. And undoubtedly the thing we need most is your Holy Spirit in us. But we also recognise that we need those disciples around us that you have given to us to encourage us, to tell stories as we travel, to place our walking sticks where they are most safely placed, to help us find out where the good handholds are when it's scrambling. Give us the humility to accept this kind of help, the courage to be vulnerable, and give us joy as we walk with others along the path that leads us closer to you. Amen. Okay, so we're asking three questions. The first one is to do with accountability. The question to ask, I think, for, to ask ourselves, but if we were others, to have a conversation about too, perhaps, is um, who am I accountable to? Or, and perhaps this is more likely to be the question you end up asking, what puts me off being accountable to someone else? Why would I want to avoid doing that? What am I nervous about or worried about when it comes to being accountable? And then, to be honest enough, before God with that, so to be able to go to Jesus and say, I know I need to be accountable. I need, there need to be people I'm accountable to. Would you help me get past this blockage which is stopping me from doing that? Okay, question two is to do with tribes. We talked about how we can have a tribal attitude in our discipleship and our togetherness is lost because we can see how we differ uh, in our perspective or in our thinking from other people. 
So the question is, what are the things that are likely to leave you feeling separated from other disciples? Where would you draw your lines? Where would you... What are the things that are going to make you feel like you maybe are going to struggle to walk with another disciple? Identify them and then bring them to Jesus and say, help me find ways to walk with disciples who think differently from me. Help me to um, find ways to learn from them. Question three is to do that with the challenges that we face when it comes to personality. There will be those who you find it difficult to connect with as a disciple, not so much because um, you don't fancy being accountable to them or because um, you think differently in, in terms of doctrine or theology, but just because they're awkward or, or strange to you um, or um, personality makes it difficult. So what I want you to do is, is identify in your own mind who those people are and then just name them before God and say I find it difficult to share my discipleship journey with people who are like this or with you know people who, who behave that way or whatever it might be I'm not asking you to um to change overnight the way you engage with people because I'm not sure how that it's that I'm not sure that's how it works but the first step is to be honest with Jesus and say I know that I'm in family with these folks and I want to at least admit that I find it difficult those are our three questions uh, it's been great having the chance to talk to you and I look forward to catching up with you again with part five take care